Welcome to the Austin Action Fest podcast. We focus on filmmaking from idea to distribution and everything in between. We focus on you getting your project in the can and for the world to see. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast. Now let's get cracking. Let me start over. <laughs> wow. It's like uh, edited it out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, thank you for consenting no to this. <laughs> no editing at all. <laughs> Raw. <laughs> thank you for uh, coming to this interview, man. I do appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here. Good to talk to you guys. Please introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Brian Satterwhite. I'm a film composer, among many things, uh, in the Austin area. And um, I'm here to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Okay. So, as we are in the Austin Action Fest, we uh, the focus will definitely about be about uh, movies and action music. Yes. But we want to go over your history, uh, slices of your history uh, for a second. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Where do you want me to begin? Okay. Where'd you get your training? So I went to Berklee College of Music uh, up in Boston, Massachusetts. It's a private music school, um, and. I originally went to school at Sam Houston State University, which is in Huntsville, Texas. And it was right around that time I, I was really deciding that I wanted to be a film composer mm-hmm. and uh, made the transfer up to Berkeley. I majored in uh, film scoring and composition. And then upon graduation, the, 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 the plan was always to go to LA. All my friends that I graduated with, most of them went to LA and that was always my plan. But I had some family members in Austin and they kept saying, hey, you should check out uh, what's going on. This would have been in the mid nineties in Austin, right. Texas. And I, I really loved, I did the research, put, did the due diligence, really loved what I saw. And um, I made the decision to, to move to Texas. So, uh, and I've been here now since 98. So I'm going on like 22 years now, so. Got you beat by two, okay. Yeah. <laughs> deep in the heart of Texas. So, so to be clear, do you have a cowboy hat and or cowboy boots? I have a pair of boots. I do not have a hat. Uh, uh, my parents bought me uh, a pair of cowboy boots for the premiere of an IMAX film called uh, Ride Around the World, which is an IMAX film about cowboys. So I figured <laughs> I couldn't go to the premiere of an IMAX film about cowboys in the state of Texas without my own pair of boots. So I, I do own yeah. a pair of boots. Yes. It's very respectful. We've got to fix this hat situation <laughs> ASAP, but all right. Heard, that's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> Got it. Go ahead, Chill. I'm here just helping out. Hey. You're the host. See, see, this is where, yeah, uh, no, 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 you're not here, you're not helping with this one. No, no, son. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so in, from 86 to now, I still haven't had a cowboy hat. I still haven't had cowboy boots. The only boots that I even close to have are Tim's. No, 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 no. See, it's the 90 stereotypical black man thing. You know, you know, Tim's, son. Tim's. Um, <laughs> but go ahead, sir. I digress. It's the point. We're going to fix that. We're going to fix all of that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so you got here, uh, you came to Austin. You obviously love something about the place. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, the thing that it's, I think the thing that attracted me the most is kind of the small knit community, the hands-on. There's a there's a really strong community of filmmakers here. They're always willing to help and always willing to to to, to mix up and mingle and have fun and make movies. Uh, I think the business of making movies here is um, is just based on that community and having fun. And I've 
I, I always told myself if I needed to move away from Austin at some point in time, I, I think I'd be prepared to do that, but I haven't after 22 years. So I think that means things have been going pretty well. And um, I've been involved with just a lot of different things. Not only do I write film music, I write about film music. I lecture. I, I used to teach at the University of Texas for a few years. Um, I had my own radio show for 14 right. years right. here in Austin where I broadcast film music every week. And I'm currently That's writing cool. a book right now on film yeah. music. So there's a lot out there. I, I, I try to say that I like to preach the gospel of film music as often as I can. And whatever means that I'm able to do that, right. and that includes uh, interviews such as this, uh, I try to to get on board and, and do that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's, it's much appreciated. But like we previously mentioned, I listen to your interviews, by the way, on, on that wonderful little classical music station. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Music is, and I wouldn't say it's the one of the essential parts of uh, a filmmaking, but it's a critical one. You can have a film without music. Yeah. At the same time, it it's another layer of it's another sensory layer. I do like to say I love being a composer. I love the filmmaking process because it's a collaborative experience. It's it's really one of the only true collaborative art forms out there. Uh, I love actually working with directors and when a director kind of nitpicks at the music and and gives me a vision and changes things i really enjoy that because depending on the directors i work with which are, i have had great experiences the music and the film gets better and it's really cool to have that influence on a movie but you're right it's it's i call it it's only a slice of the art the music is only one particular slice of it but it's a really important slice and i i love that responsibility uh, of, of, I saw, call it like breathing life into the film. So what's the most, what's the most difficult thing about working with a director or somebody when you're trying to create uh, music for them? Is it, is it, do you run into issues maybe where they don't have a vision and that's the, the most difficult thing or? Sometimes, but that can be okay. Uh, I've talked to directors that say, you know, I don't really know what I want. And I tell them, that's fine, we'll discover that together. And I have, you know, tricks and ways to kind of uh, take us down that path so that I can kind of figure it out for us both. Um, I think I think that just the biggest difficulty between working with a director, and this is true whether um, they're a first timer or they've directed 100 movies, it's just, it's just communication. And I tell all my students when I teach and I lecture, I tell my students that the number one skill you need to have to be a successful composer is communication, to be able to um, speak yeah. your own ideas and to be able to listen to other people's ideas and interpret them because a lot of times people don't always say what they mean. Right. So you have to know what they mean by what by the language that they're using. So it's it's communication that's 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 always difficult, but it's not um, a bad thing. Again, it's, I think it's a wonderful part of the process. I, it's my favorite. And my, my favorite part of the, of the film scoring process is talking with directors sitting down, learning about their characters, learning about their stories, you know, um, giving them my ideas. Uh, I've had some really great just filmic conversations with directors on movies that I'm about to score and that path and that journey is very rewarding. It makes scoring easier. The more I talk, the more information I get from a director, it just makes the scoring process that much easier. But, but when does that conversation need to happen? Early as possible, yeah. Early, early as possible. Um, I try to con convince directors get your composers on board in you know in pre-production if you can, because those conversations are so valuable. I try, as a composer, I try to learn the movie as well as the director does. By the time I'm scoring it, and that's not always possible given the time I have. But if you get 
a composer on board early enough, I'll get that time and I'll, I will take that time to learn the story, learn the characters, learn the motivations, learn the director's vision. So when the time comes to actually lay down the music, it's, it's almost easier because of that, because I have that, uh, that, that background from, from the director, but um, as early as possible, it, 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 you know, but that's not always possible because I've gotten plenty of films are like, Hey, I'm in a jam whatever I, you know there's a I, I got into a festival i wasn't expecting to get into and i need this in two weeks can you do it oh yeah i mean i've been in that situation too um and i try not to skip those uh important steps of communication i still try to communicate and, right. and talk but it's uh, it's just got to be sped up a little bit because we don't have much time <laughs> exactly so in related in related to action movies um what is your criteria as far as sound, as well as far as music, in the action film or uh, action genre of making music, I don't know if I have. There is a criteria. I don't know if I have a criteria per se. Um, every film is different, and and I don't know if genres define, you know, the differences in film. I don't. I mean, are there differences in scoring action compared to comedy? Probably on a minutia level, yes, but uh, the function of music in a film is still true, whether you're scoring a comedy or an action film or, you know, or a drama, because there's action in every movie. I mean, mov um, movies have movement. They ha there's, there's always going to be action on screen, and sometimes it could be a kiss, you know, a, a, a couple slowly comes together. You know, and then they kiss. Well, that's an action that music can can underline and and bring out. So it's not an action film per se, but there is right. action pertaining to the film. So there's always going to be those elements. Um, however, being in the action genre, yes, there you kind of are doing that a lot. You're taking the action. If the whole point of the movie is to showcase amazing action. Right. It would stand to guess that music should be behind it to support that, deliver that, and make it um, a very positive, rousing experience. Okay, so pause for a second. Yep. Where, where you're moving is is a little bit too much. Uh, I'm not sure if the camera is keeping up with it or. Okay, I'll be still. <clears throat> okay, uh, I so I don't want you to look bad. So. <laughs> I get I get impassioned. Hey, I mean, I'm not sure how I look if I'm going fast, but okay. I just want to make sure that okay, okay, okay. So and <laughs> action. <laughs> I try. Go ahead. So you were talk talking about how um, the appropriateness of movies. I mean, action and movies and music. Um, so when do you think it's overdone? In, in I guess in, action, in, in movies in general. When, when is it overdone? When the film or the scene doesn't need it. Um, I mean, music is essentially a crutch. It's a, it's a device used to help a director in a number of different situations. And so when music is used, it's, it's usually to facilitate something that is not achieved alone through the acting, the writing, the, the camera angles, and the editing alone. There needs to be some other element to make that tangible connection between the audience and the picture okay. so I, I as a composer i'm constantly looking for moments in a movie that don't need music because those to me are the most precious they're the most pure and the most honest okay. and i don't want to put music into a scene that is just working 
flawlessly. Like if a director tells me their vision, say, well, here's my goal for this scene. I want to do A, B, C, and D. This is how I want the audience to react. And this is what I want. And if, and I'll use my expertise to, to evaluate that scene. I say, hey, it's already doing that. Everything that you want is already happening right here, right now. I don't want to touch it with music. There's nothing I can do anymore because it's already there. Right. Now, if he says, I want to do A, B, C, and D, and A and B are there, but C and D, yeah, I'm not getting that at all without music. Okay, that's when I come in. Let me try to, to deliver those points to the right. audience. And so, um, and so, I, I don't want to overscore a film. I don't. I don't. If, if, if the scene doesn't need music, I don't want it there. Uh, right. That's and that's true not just as a composer, but as an audience member, too. Um, I love movies. I love. I watch them daily, and mm-hmm. I want to be able to just soak up the purity of film and, and just because I, i'm a film composer i don't want to hear music right. throughout the whole movie if, if <laughs> wall-to-wall scoring um will will kill music uh, right. silence is more important than music is because it refreshes the palate and makes it uh right. you know right. make yeah, it last right. longer now we had this conversation the other day about the lack of sound or when so- sound is sound is or isn't appropriate and my example was at the end of endgame and iron man Mm-hmm. When they killed the sound was awesome. I, you know, the film people we caught it automatically. Um, the regular audience may have not caught it as much, but I caught it like that. And I was like, I know this is a sad scene, but are they actually going to put music throughout the entire thing? The entire thing? No, it was dead silence except for the, the hearing the fire, hearing Rhodey's suit come in landing, mm-hmm. all the other stuff that should have been in the scene. But as far as music ambient sound that was it and as a composer i'm very in tune to that i think all composers are uh, sound is a is a functional cousin to music because there's some things that um sound can achieve as well and i usually default to sound first if sound can f- fulfill some of these uh goals that needs to occur then i'd rather that happen than music and um there's a lot of great cinematic experiences where where the awareness of the environmental sound coming to the foreground really heightens the scene. And that's exactly what you're talking about there at the, at the end. Oh yes. Oh yes. So what other things that, that uh, you've done that are related to uh, scoring that are outside of movies that actually help you within the genre? I mean, I know we're action focused, but is there, for example, I know 3D modelers, right? They do actual physical sculpting. So when it comes to actual making the 3D versions of that, they're much better. Mm. What can you that use to enhance your skills as a uh, composer? I think the first and foremost advice that I give in this area, and this is true of the, all the lectures that I've given, all the students, all the advice that I've given. When I get somebody that says, hey, I want to be a film composer, you know, what should I be doing? It's, I say the same thing over and over again and have for the last 25 years, and that's watch movies. Watch and, and watch them a lot. I mean, get on a steady diet of just gorging on cinema and not just the movies that you like, right. but, but movies that you think you may not like. Um, all genres, <clears throat> excuse me, all decades, all countries, um, and you know, experimental narrative, documentary, you name it. Mm-hmm. Just just gorge on it. And and learn from that because there are so many opportunities uh, in film. There are all the lessons that there is to know about right. how to score movies or how to write music. It, they're already there. 
you just have to go out and 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 gorge on it and even if you're not you know hyper focused on the music while you're watching you know and and, i'm not recommending you know sit there with a notebook and take notes and and just focus on the music just enjoy the just enjoy the film and and the lessons that it has to give will definitely seep in subconsciously Mm -hmm. um so i i don't I think that's integral to becoming a good film composer is you have to watch movies. Um, The other thing is just to keep writing music. One of the the hardest parts about this job is that you, depending on your your schedule, my schedule fluctuates dramatically throughout the year. There are times when I'm working on three or four projects at once and things are just absolutely bonkers creatively and and I'm writing, you know, 12, 14 hours a day. And then there's times when it's not, you know, I might only have one project or, or it's even zero, which is pretty rare. But, um, and so because of that, you, you want to still keep writing music. Right. If you don't have a film to score, don't let that be an excuse to not still be writing. It doesn't, no. it doesn't ever have to leave your computer. You can, I can work all day on something right. and literally just put it on my hard drive and let it store there and then never think about it ever again. It doesn't matter. The whole point is just the act of creating music. You want to always right. be doing something. That reminds me, I think, was it, was it, was it Kanye West that said he made a beat a day, like an extended period of time. It was like, he was yeah. making a track a day or something yeah. like that. Nice. Something insane. Yeah. And it was like, it's the repetition. He didn't say he released it. Right. Um, and actually I just saw this, uh, this a musician, rapper group out of Houston, uh, Toby and Weigwe. Yes. And he got famous because he was doing, uh, it was this challenge, the get, go, So Gone Challenge or whatever, where he was rapping every single week. He had to come up with a, a new track or a, a rap to a thing. Well, he did the one to that beat that one, uh, that one week, and then it got like a crazy response. And his mentors was like, keep doing that. And so then every single week, he had, they had to create another beat. He had to create another rap. And it was just like that consistency. And he was putting all that out in front of people. And it it, it turned into success for him. And I'm, the- I, I know a lot of film composers that do similar things. They'll write a library, you know, a library track a day. Like I have friends that write a lot for different libraries. It's not something I have done a whole lot in my career. Um, mm-hmm. But you can make a good living at it if that's, if that's your thing. And I know guys that just sit down every day, write a new track, you know, minute long, minute and a half long, and then add it to the library. Um, just that that level of um, just churning out music at a, at a, at a constant rate is, is practice. I mean, if you're gonna be good at, at a sport, if you're gonna be good at anything, you, know, you gotta practice, right? And it's the same thing with, with music. I think a lot of people mysticize a lot of the arts. And so it becomes like, ooh, the muse of inspiration struck mm-hmm. me. Like, well, when it comes to me. I'm like, hey man, like what if you're working though, if you're trying to make money, you have to be able to activate the muse. Like you to be a professional means you have to work with some level of a deadline. Um yes. it's not always gonna be that I felt inspired right. that right. day. You know, and I, and I love when I'm on set doing fire choreography or whatever, but I can't admit that every time I go to set, I don't always want to be there. Maybe I had a rough night or whatever, but the people that I'm working with are still expecting me to perform like a professional because it's a job. So I think that that's something that a lot of people miss when it comes to music. People who just, you know, rappers, singers, mm-hmm. producers, people miss that part. So and, yeah, that's uh, being, being professional on tap. 
Yeah, most definitely. And I have people ask me that all the time. You know, what, what do I do about, you know, the blank canvas syndrome or if I'm not inspired? And I can honestly tell them that never happens. Um, I learned, <laughs> and, and it's only because I, I learned that lesson a long time ago. I'll never forget my very first film score. I graduated Berkeley and uh, moved to Austin. The very first short film that I ever got as a paid composer. And, uh, you know, I was so excited. I loved the film. I was working on it for a full day literally trashed everything I did. You know, I worked all day, day number two, trashed everything. I was getting really frustrated. <laughs> Nothing, you know, I, I was, I had the blank camera syndrome. Nothing I wrote was good enough. And then finally the third day, that same thing happened. I was just really, I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, I'm not good enough for this. Everything I wrote was garbage. And I was moping around the apartment. And my wife uh, at the time got so sick of me coming out of the room and complaining and moping. She literally yelled at me and said, get back in there and just do it. I'm tired of this, get back in there and do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but but she's like, no, I don't wanna hear it. Get back in there and do it and don't come out until you're done. She was just fed up, yeah. Well, guess what? Never again, I went in there and I just did it and never again, and I, this is a God's honest truth, never again have I ever had that problem. So it's- is it uh, is it similar to like when we talk about writing, um, people get scared by the blank page yeah. and it's like, just write it. It's not, it, the edit is where it's going to be good. Yeah. This right. is just getting it out so you have some clay to work with. Right. Um, is, it, is it similar to that? And it is. It, it, and, and my wife's, my wife's advice was really on point. It, it's the Nike slogan, just do it. I mean, and there's a period there. There's no excuse. There's no nothing. That's all you have to do. And I did. And it's, it's a mental, it's, it's, it's a mental thing. You just have to push yourself through and uh, you just have to sit down and do it and, and not get up until it's done. And it's, it's weird, but yeah, right now, like somebody can hand me a film right now and I would sit down and I would start immediately. Again, this is assuming I've had those conversations. I know the movie really right. well. That's why knowing the film well comes into play because I can just sit down and immediately begin right. writing the music for the for the movie, and, right. uh, and that just takes again practice, experience. You have to have that experience of pushing past that barrier. And once you do, it's like uh, it's kind of like like breaking a horse. You know, once once you you know once you take a wild horse and you break it, you can ride it. That's kind of how it is now. It's just I I don't ever go back to to that blank canvas fear anymore. So, so so what do you as as far as fears go? Um, when it comes to being a movie composer, mm -hmm. uh, what what do you think composers and even directors uh, what can they do to alleviate those fears? I don't know if it's the compo. I don't think it's the director's responsibility to alleviate those fears. Okay. I mean. I'm trying to think about the fear, like the fears that I have are, um, I mean, there's the deadline always. I mean, that's, that's never going to yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, now I've done over 160 projects, you know, films in my career. So I've gotten to the Ooh. point where I trust myself. I know what I'm capable of. So when I sit there and I look, okay, I have to write, you know, 80 minutes of music in five weeks. That sounds really difficult. It sounds almost impossible. <laughs> and believe me, it is, it is, but I'm not going to bother freaking out about it because I've done it before. So it's like, why worry about it if I've done it before? And so it's just not something, but it's still there. It's not a lack of fear. It's just a, uh, you, you use experience 
Right. To combat so the fear. Th this could be like a, I don't know, the beginning of a dissertation or something like that. It's the same mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, if, if, if you're going to put a any responsibility on the filmmaker's part, I mean, don't, I would just say, don't be an a-hole. I mean, that's, that's make the experience enjoyable. And I, and I put that on the composer's back too. Um, film is hard, you know, the deadlines and the pressure and the money film making movies is very, very hard. So right. it's up to the people that are collaborating to make it as mm -hmm. enjoyable as, as you can, because yeah. when, when it's clicking, when I'm working with a director whom I love to work with mm -hmm. the pressure, the deadlines, none of that matters. Cause we're just having fun. It's, it's like a party and uh, we're doing get, what we love to do. You get to work with people that hopefully you like. Definitely. Um, I have not been in the situation yet where I have to work with people that I dislike just for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I haven't, luckily I have, I've, I've finagled enough and maneuvered enough to not be in that place. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like filmmaking is difficult enough as it is getting all these parts to line up correctly. Like you don't want to add somebody just being, you know, a butthole on top of that unnecessarily yeah. to, the, to the chaos. Like that is, that is an unnecessary problem to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, that, and that's what it boils down to. I mean, if, if, as long as you're a cool cat and you're just enjoying the process too. And I, and I personally, I love, especially with first time filmmakers, I love it when they get a little stressed out and a little nervous, <laughs> they're going crazy. I, I like to be the one to assuage them and, and come in and be like, hey, we're, we're cool. Like, this is going to be great. You know, you know, and I have a really yes, positive attitude. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I love yeah. to I love to have that responsibility where I can kind of come in and and then make filmmakers comfortable about the process, because I love the process personally. So um, I try to try to impart upon them how enjoyable it is. And, and generally it works. Generally, I, 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 I get a lot of repeat directors, so I, I would imagine I'm pleasant to work with so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So what, awesome. what kind of advice uh, would you give to the, the future John Williams? Hmm. Well the first one I said you know again the, the importance of watching movies right. is still not to be understated. Um, the, the, the only the, the other thing I, I like to, to talk about is that and this is both an advantage and a disadvantage depending on who you are and that's don't get bogged down in how do I become a film composer? There's really no set path to becoming a film composer. You can put a hundred composers in a room and ask them, you know, how did, how did you get to where you are? How did you get to be a film composer? And you get a hundred different answers. Right. Don't think that there's a set path that you have to be on. Wait a minute, I'm not on this path. So how am I going to get there? There's no such thing. So now that could be scary to a lot of people because some people need a set path in right. life in order to get, achieve their goals and if you're like that i'll admit you're going to have some challenges because there is no set path now right. if you're a little bit like me i like to pave my own way i'm you know blaze my own trail and trial and error and try this and try. moving to austin was a big part of that like everybody i knew was moving to la hey i'm gonna go move to austin um it was just my gut gut instinct and uh, mm -hmm. and so I think people like that are going to excel in this because they'll find a new way. They'll find right. a different way that nobody else has tried before. Right. So I like to stress that, that, um, that don't get bogged down that there's this set path that there isn't and go, go find your own. Um, people ask me, do I need to go to, like I went to Berkeley, I got a degree in film scoring. Somebody comes up to me, do I need to do that? I, I'm the first to say, definitely not. 
I don't think a director has ever cared that I went to Berkeley and got a degree in film scoring. I don't think. Not that I was never aware of the fact that that was important to them. They hear. I've never been asked one time. Yeah. For, for any kind of credentials for yep, literally no anything that I do. Right. Which is crazy. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's like no one's ever cared if I went to film school. Yep. No one's ever even asked you any degree of any kind of any sort whatsoever. Um, every now and then, ask, sometimes they don't even ask for my reel, which I think that's crazy. But like, yeah. normally that's like if it's a referral, they may just assume I know yep. what I'm doing and they don't ask for a reel. But at most, that's all I ever get asked for. Can I see your reel? Can I see that you know how to do it? If you know how to do it, good to go. And that's exactly right. Um, and so, and I didn't go to Berkeley for the credential. I went there, you know, for the knowledge and the mm. experience. And and I got exactly that. And I wouldn't be here today had I not done that. It was a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sure. But but that doesn't have to be somebody else's path. I mean, um, that was just my personal path. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, at, when it comes down to it, all you got to do if you're a composer, you got to find somebody that's making a movie that likes your music. And that is, that is it. <laughs> I mean, it's no knock on education. It's just yeah. that at the end of the day, um, keep on, you know, get the skills um, and don't stop learning. Yes. I mean, just because you went through, got this whatever, that doesn't mean you, oh, got this, this, whatever, and I'll just truck along doing the same thing. No, keep on going your craft. Keep yeah. on accelerating. And do you find that a lot of the people are that go to school for, for uh, music and scoring, et cetera, that they're already like these are people who I would think are already making music, right? Like they're already practicing the craft. Like I can't imagine waiting to go to school to engage. Is that correct? Yes and no. I mean, film music is a hard thing to study on your own per se. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's a hard thing to just jump into. Although lots of people have. I know. I see. I was back. It was in the mid '90s when I went to to Berkeley. So I was trying my best to study film music on my own and 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 do as much educating as I as I could and then when I got to Berkeley I, I kind of understood a little bit of what they're saying but that's where it just everything just exploded as far as education goes it's it's, it's a very mysterious craft and so it could be a struggle to just pick it up along the way but but many many composers have been successful in doing that um, okay. not a it's not a rare story to hear you know there's a there's a joke that you know, composers have that, you know, anybody that plays three chords on a guitar thinks they can be a film composer. And, you know, <laughs> we joke about that, but there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I know some composers that aren't that quote unquote musical, but they're scoring films, you know, it, it's, it's, it's has so much more to do with, first of all, personality and film knowledge. Right. Uh, film knowledge will definitely um, over supersede music knowledge. In, in, uh, to be a, in, a, in, the, in the area of film composing. So no one kind of tell a story. Tell a story, yes. Yeah, tell a story. No, no, no screenwriting, no editing, no direction. That's, that's more important than knowing counterpoint orchestration or you know, harmony. I mean, it's, it's a strange thing to, to admit and, and think about, but that's where the success of film composers lie, is their knowledge of film more than their knowledge of music. Okay. Really? Well, that's more than just good to know. Now, Looking at your uh, IMDb, I know you said it, but wow, <laughs> this thing is crazy. Well, that's, and that's not even everything. I mean, not everything oh, no. got no, on no. IMDb, you know, for whatever reason. But I, I mean, I've been doing this for 20, again, professionally 22 years and then three yeah. or four years beyond that when I was at school. Yeah. So um, 
and it's it's been my sole focus you know professionally i haven't had a quote unquote day job since 2001 so it's been my you know my sole means mm -hmm. of of earning a living since that time and with with highs and lows along the way it's not been steady and it's not been easy it's been very very difficult but right i wouldn't want it any other way so good good no so i'm actually curious about the business side of mm. of this as well i mean we're yes. gonna give people some tips so i know people go about this a number of different ways uh, i know that I've, everybody's been to incompetech and <laughs> use the kevin mcleod track uh in in the shorts um, and I know Kevin has an entire like database of all kinds of music, and then he does stuff that's like custom. Would you do you think that that is a efficient way of doing business? Is that the way that's most common for people in the industry to to you know start making a living? What do you like? What are some tips for people getting started financially to have success? I mean, that's that's the million dollar question, and it, it's the toughest part of the career. There's no doubt about it. Is the business side of things. Um, I kind of feel like I have the filmic skills down. I have the music skills down. Yeah. It's the business skills that I, I don't know, struggle with. I mean, it's, yeah, I struggle with. I mean, it's the hardest part. It's the marketing. You know, I'm the product and the CEO. I'm the, I'm the salesman and the product, and, and I'm, I've got to push myself, and that's always difficult. Um, I've got to compete with, you know, other composers out there, and, and uh, I've got to, you know, get my music out there so that directors can hear it. I told you earlier, all you got to do is find a, somebody making a movie that likes your music. Well, yeah. it sounds, that's easy. It is. That's, that's all, cause all it takes. But the hard part is now let's go find somebody making a film and get them to hear my music. Um, yeah. and that's a very difficult process. So, so the whole, saying, uh, networking is a good part of that. Networking, networking is a great part of that. And then there's, and then there's like the financial things, taxes and all that stuff, which is, you know, I, my least favorite, all of that, other hardcore business. I'm a, I'm a creative, right? I want to create. So the, mm -hmm. the other half of my brain, which is the business model of it is the part that I'd rather not deal with, but it's, it's essential. And business cannot be a four letter word. If you want to do this, it cannot be a hobby. If you want to make a living, if you, if you want it to be a hobby, more power to you. It's, it's a, it's a great hobby. You'll, you know, you'll, if you have a day job that supports you, you want to score films on the side man, you will, you'll be able to do it to your heart's content because there's so much of, Avail, uh, opportunities for that. If you want to make a living at it, you want to turn your hobby into a career, right. business can't be a four-letter word. And you have to start doing things like set a minimum fee, turning projects down because they don't pay enough. That's hard because I don't, I just want to write music, you know, especially for great projects. Like I wish I could not care about the money and just write for fun, but I can't, you know, I've decided to do this as a career. So I have to set a minimum fee and if a project comes along, doesn't pay enough. I have to turn it down. It's heartbreaking because I don't. I'd rather just write it. But so those are those are really really difficult parts of the of the business. And I think for everybody that musicians are not naturally business minded. I know in Austin, business is kind of a four letter word with musicians, and yeah. and and, I, and it can't be. It, you really have to embrace it and make business decisions like turning right. down projects that don't pay enough. That's a business decision. That's not a creative decision. <coughs> our one of our one of our sound guys. Uh, he was making, I remember being with him in a meeting before we had a company mm -hmm. and he used to make beats for people. Mm -hmm. And he met with his rapper uh, back home clean. Everybody's a rapper. And mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, he uh, plays the guy's album. It's, it's probably 10 or 15 tracks. And the guy's, you know, doing it for a cause for the, for the, um, 
he, he's got some sort of a program for youth, and my friend is going to just give him the whole album. He's not asking for credit. He didn't ask for, like, nothing. Like, he's going to give him, and I'm, and I'm looking at him going, how long did it take you to make all that music? Oh, you know, it took, you know, so many days per track or whatever. I mean, you're going to just hand it over? Like, you don't want anything? Like a love offering, donation? You don't want, like, your name in the, like, nothing? We don't want any attribution whatsoever. And it was crazy, but I, but it's what you're talking about. Like, he's a creative, and he isn't looking at this from a business perspective of, oh, how much did Fruity Loops cost you? How yeah. much did the computer you ran it on cost you? You're going to wear that stuff out. You have to re-up on that gear. You have to practice. And this, how much time? And then, I mean, at the time, at the time we weren't married, right? But now, you know, I'm married, for instance. Whatever I do creatively, like, it has to be worth leaving my wife at the house to go hang out with you guys. And, and she's not wanting me to leave the house. So... To her, it also has to be worth her time that I left the house. So doing, you know, uh, umpteen million free projects, like we got, we had a whole conversation about that because she was like, "Hey, you like spend a lot of time out there. These people aren't paying you at all what they should be paying you. You're doing too much free work." So, I mean, we all we all end up going through that time where we have to start to make those adjustments. And sometimes because you're creative and it's fun, you want to help people and they got good hearts and they have this awesome project. You just want to be involved. But it's like, well, when I'm doing that, I'm not making money and means I'm not paying bills. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've had that same experience. I'm, I'm married as well. And I even have two children and uh, it, it compounds even further when, when, you know, kids are <laughs> coming to the family. You're I right. Understand. I mean, to, to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and I tell you, it, it's funny because I remember when right before we were going to go ahead and start a family and have children, it's like, obviously everybody, I had the same fear, like, you know, oh, I'm not ready. You know, I don't, I'm not financially in a place yet. and I'm not ready in my career yet. Well, that's, that's always going to be true. No matter when you start having kids, you're never going to be ready. But I tell you, I thought it was I, as scared as I was. It actually turned out to be the kick in the pants that I needed to really make those really sound better mm -hmm. business decisions. I mean, um, I struggled to do that before kids came to the picture. And when they did, it was just, uh, cause then yeah. there's no messing around. Like, okay. It's clear. <laughs> it's clear. You know, yeah. I, I can't do this. And it's not that I you know don't want to do this project. I literally can't do this project because if, if I do this project for that amount, then I'm going to have to go get a job, you know, somewhere else. And I can't write anybody music for anybody. So it's, uh, exactly. that's the tough part, but it's, it's always, I, I, nothing I hate more than turning down a project for, yeah. for any reason. Have you had a good experience with uh, people offering you points in the back end? I've had people offer that and there's been a few contracts where I've had that offered as a, as a, as a bonus. Like they, I still have to have the financial gotcha. um, obligations fulfilled up front. If they want to sweeten the deal with that. Sure. We can talk about that. And I'll do that. But I've never, I've never done a project, um, Ford only back end. There's, I'm very realistic on, you know, movies not only are hard to make, however hard movies are to make, and they're very hard, they're a thousand times harder to make money on. Uh, very, very, very few microscopic slice of movies actually make a profit. So I'm very realistic about that. So if, if they want to sweeten a deal, great, but I'm, I can't rely on that. 
I've, I've started to, I mean, I still, when it's people I, I like or I just have like a gap, maybe I'll be willing to do some stuff. Sure. But now, now, even because we're starting to start get into the distribution space and all that, I'll yeah. ask people straight up, like, so what's the marketing plan? Like, what do you mean? If you're going to give me points. Are these net points? Are these gross points? Gross points. Right. How are you going to make the money back that you're telling me I'm supposed to get a cut of? Can I be involved in that process? Is there a plan? Is Because a lot of times I've talked to independent filmmakers and the idea is like, I'm going to take it to... We're going to take it to the festivals and get in Sundance or something like that, and then we're going to get a deal. And I'm like, well, that's not really. Those odds are not great, which means right. the odds of me getting paid are very, very slim. <laughs> right. And if they want to sweeten that pot, that's a great sweetener. But you're right. All the, all the contracts I've ever signed that had any back-end portion to it, none of mm -hmm. them have, have paid out anything. So that's fine. I didn't. That's not, again, that's not the reason why I did it. So I was... I yeah. adequate, adequately paid up front, was able to do the score, very happy with how it turned out. And, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you, do you have any uh, future projects you want to promote? So this this year has been interesting. Obviously, with COVID hitting and everything, everybody in this business is uh, kind of figuring out what, they're, what they've been doing and what they're doing. And I'm kind of in that position, too. I've been lucky enough to at least tread water i don't think i'm thriving at this time like a lot of people aren't but uh i've been treading water doing i just completed a short film um just a couple days ago i've got another one on the horizon a lot of little projects here and there but the right. the, the fortuitous thing is I, I mentioned earlier that i i write about film music and i'm writing my first book right now and i uh signed the deal about a year ago okay and i i tell people i picked a great year to write my first <laughs> book because you have time to this COVID thing has really <laughs> been a great environment for, for writing a book. Um, it's called the music of Friday the 13th. And uh, I'm a diehard Friday the 13th fan. I'm a horror fan in general, but the Friday the 13th films are, are very near and dear to me. And so I'm writing a comprehensive book on all 12 movies. Um, there's video games. I mean, everything Friday fans wow. are, are completists. So I want to, no stone left unturned, everything you ever wanted to know about the music from the whole franchise. I'm put into a book. It's about, at least halfway, maybe 55, 60% of the way done. Good. So, could be out uh, early next is, year. Is there going to be an audiobook version? And if it will, if there will be, will I, I can do the sound. Uh, uh, right here. Right there. Yeah. I, I think there was something, there was, there was something in the contract about an audiobook, but I, man, that's, that's like step 10,000. I'm still on step 600. So, hey, <laughs> put a word happens, in. You say, okay. if it happens, what about scoring the audiobook? Uh, that would that'd be that would be I've interesting. Never, I've never seen that before. I'd have to I'd have to uh, think about the audiobook because there's a lot of music examples in the audiobook, yeah. and that would that, that there gets to be some clearance issues with that and how that, <laughs> how that works. But I have to think about that. Yeah, it makes for makes it interesting. Jason kicks down the door. Yeah, she screams. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of great music in that franchise. Yeah, actually, yeah, they because they talk about horror specifically is the one that the music, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard people say that it's the one where music is the most critical, where if you kill the yeah. sound, it, oh, sure. or scoring in, in all the effects, like if you kill the sound, it stops being a scary movie. Yeah, and that's definitely true. Um, but, 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 but on the flip side of that, it's like, horror is like the easiest genre to score. I mean, it's, 
it's just a, it's just a large playground. It's so much fun from a composer's perspective. Horror is just an absolute blast because it's really hard to mess it up um, unless you're just trying to do something so wackadoo out of the box, you know, and an experiment that fails. It's it's hard to mess up horror because uh, whereas one of the tougher genres, um, you know, comedy, action, uh, those get to be fairly laborious and, and difficult. Comedy is probably the hardest to, to score. But really? but 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 horror is just, it's just I call it the biggest playground for a composer and it's just a lot of fun to yeah, you, know, you, you you make you can just come up with all kinds of crazy, weird, screechy sounds or disturbing <laughs> sounds and you throw it in there and so and it's already working, you know. It's 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 very hard to mess up. So I did have a question. If you could give us an example, I don't know if you there's a quick way to do this, but um the path of being, you know, someone who makes music for pop idols and consumption and someone who scores movies and, and, and composes for movies. It, is there like a short version of the difference, like a way you can condense the differences between these two, like an example, like here's how I'd handle, you know, 16 seconds in this versus how it'll be handled with someone who made a track. Like, is there any way you can like yeah. distill that? And again, um, mm -hmm. When I went to Berkeley, I was a, I was a film scoring and composition major. So I represented those two different things you're talking about, like the like the film scoring. There's the film scoring half of me, and there's the composition half of me, which is just composing for me, composing what I want. And the biggest difference um, between the two is going back to film. I talk about it. I love the collaborative process. Music is only a slice of the completed art form. You know, the movie is the art and your music is only a slice of the whole art. Meanwhile, experts in a lot of different fields are also contributing their craft to create the complete art form. Right. Now, when you're creating music on your own, when I'm writing pieces for myself or again, pop, pop artists are writing songs and releasing albums, that's the complete art form, the song, the album, their music. There's no other, it's not a portion of the art, it's the complete art. So that's the biggest difference and, be, and that alone makes a lot of the creative decisions, a lot of the function behind the music differently. Um, it, it's, it's probably the thing that perpetuates the differences the most. Now, a lot of it does have common ground though, but it's mostly the function and the discipline and the purpose behind the existence of the music that separates it. Got it. Okay. Well, um, any parting thoughts, Ben? Um, I just feel like I'm trying to think of anything we should have been asking you that, um, actually, you know what? Someone, someone sent me a question. Let me, let me pull it up. Someone did just ask me something about it. It's going to take me a minute to pull this up. Give me a second. No problem. Okay. Okay. Oh, hey, Brian, I'm just happy to have you on here. Uh, we're all, always happy to have professionals, you know, working professionals, professionals that are not only good in their craft, but also like to extend their knowledge out to the world, which we've done for quite some time. I do like to do that. You better be careful. I could be here for five more hours. So, yeah. <laughs> so, can we. so, yeah. <laughs> I, we, I do we like gotta to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dietrich Gales of Melissa Blade Entertainment has said, Pete, curious Curious of your inspiration, like what inspires you, and what you actually use to score with. Okay. The tools, okay. Good, good question. Um, so the, the, from a film composer perspective, 
the inspiration comes from the movie. I mean, hands down. I told you about the just do it, you know, story where I was having the blank camera syndrome. I mean, all of the answers, all the struggles that I had, uh, the answers were all in the film. And of course, that extends to the director and the vision that the director has for their movie. But that's kind of the what makes film scoring a little bit easier than, again, just composing for myself. When I'm composing in a concert piece for myself, it's a lot harder because it's the complete art form. Whereas scoring for film, I'm just adding my slice to it. It's a little bit easier for me. Um, but all the inspiration comes from the movie itself. And, and that's why film scoring has more to do with film than it does with music. Because if you're not reading into the film, if you're not getting those hints, I like to say all the time that when I watch a movie for the first time, and I've talked to the director and I know it and there's no music on it. The music is already there. I just have to listen to the film and give it what it wants. You know what I mean? Like, like mm. the film is speaking to me and it's saying, hey, I need something here. This is what I need you to do. And I'm like, I just listen to the movie and let it tell me what it what it needs. Um, so the tools that I use are it, it's pretty common between um, what a lot of composers use. I'm a, I'm a Mac guy, so I use Logic. I've used Logic. Pro since 2008, I switched over. I used to use Digital Performer um, oh, cool. in the first 10 years of my career, and I switched over to Logic in 2008. I have most of the. Uh, I use Finale for notation, which I do right. a lot. Of, uh, I do a lot of live music whenever I can. Uh, I try to have some live tracks somewhere in my score, even if the whole thing is right. electronic. I try to bring a human performer to it as much as I can. If I'm writing out a lot of parts, Finale. Um, Contact, the, the, the sampling software Contact, I use Omnisphere, I use Mach 5. Um, I don't invest, I haven't invested in just a huge, massive, expensive orchestral library. I tend, I tend to not want to do that creatively. Uh, I am an orchestral composer, but if I do orchestra, I want it to be as live as, as possible. I don't do a lot of the, uh, you know, the synth orchestra stuff. I can right. do it, I just, <laughs> it's creatively, confining like i just don't like how confining um working with a big orchestral sample library is. So i just tend to steer away from projects that don't that don't do that but um yeah that's about the bulk of, of what i use cool okay. cool so so you mentioned software i haven't heard the name of in about a dick and a half no almost two decades i used to work for apple back in the day so we, okay. when you said that uh digital performer, or performer yeah wow Wow. Digital Performer is still a big, it's still out there and it's still, uh, I would say the, if you're a Mac based composer, you are using either Logic or Digital Performer. Those are the, yeah. those are the two big ones. And if you're on PC based uh, system, you're using uh, Cubase, um, okay. likely if you're on a okay. PC. Uh, those are probably the three big, now there's, that's not the only three, there's other ones out there, but those are probably the big three, I would say. Okay. Okay, Ben, anything else from you? Uh, let's see. I'm trying to trying to think of value to the people who deal in sound. If you had to three three quick tips or rules to the game of of scoring and uh, scoring tracks, could you come up with two or three things that are like top of mind? This is what you should be thinking about when you're when you're doing this. These are three things to keep in mind every time. Like, you know, when we're cutting, we're doing videography, there's things we know, like, okay, you want to cut on an eye, 
movement or hand movement or whatever and don't violate the 180 unless you intend to. Quick rules. If there, if there are two or three of those you could throw out there that, that our sound specialists would uh, get some value from. Yeah, um, I would say, I mean, this, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, don't overdo it. I mean, don't, don't be a dictator. You know, don't, don't be the diva artist where it's like, oh, my music has got to, you know, be here and it's got to be everywhere and it's got to do this. I mean, don't overdo things. Uh, subtle, you know, I, I, like, uh, I like the phrase that a little goes a long way. And that's true of sound. It was true of music. Um, even in a hyper, even in the hyper realized world of cinema, uh, a little still can go a long way. And sometimes it's the power of subtlety that can really drive home ideas. So I, I, I don't, I just don't like it when sound design is overdone. I don't like it when music is overscored. Um, there's, there's subtlety should always kind of be in the back of the mind. Um, I don't, I don't think there's, it's interesting when you mention the word rules or tips. I mean, when it comes to composing, there aren't really, and, and I'm, I can relate this to being in, in the editing, like you said, in the editing field, because I'm an editor as well. I've edited a handful of, of big time, you know, big documentaries. And so there are some quote unquote rules that you are at least aware of while you're editing. Yeah. But composing, I think is a little more um, fluid than that. And I don't know if, I like to steer clear of the quote unquote rules. In fact, rules tend to present themselves in different periods of time. In other words, if you, you if you wanted me to talk for 30 minutes about what does film scoring in 2020 sound like? Yeah, I could go on and on and on about here are the rules of 2020 film scoring. Well, I, I'm open. I, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to break away from that. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> if somebody well, hired okay. me, if somebody hired me to, to, to compose the, the sound that is on every film that you're hearing in 2020, like, uh, uh, maybe I'll do it, but it's like, it's, that's not what I look for. Like, I look for scores that yeah. off the beaten path, you know, outside of the box. I'm always looking to experiment. I'm always looking to to take a risk. And that's why I love independent filmmaking. I mean, I'm in, I, the majority of all my work is in independent film because they can afford to take the risks. Whereas, you know, big time studio films, they can't. Uh, and so you get a lot of safe scores. You get a lot of scores that are just... Uh, they're not bad. They're just really safe and kind of mundane. And I don't. Okay. I so okay. okay so hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I, I'm, I'm oh, now, you you I'm, just I'm, touched I'm, on something. You now did not here, now see. I'm now here. I see. All right. All right. Okay. 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 So on that, a couple years ago, I mentioned a little something about the Avengers theme song. Huh? Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> how how I said how you said that no Marvel movies or very few of them have memorable theme songs. Yeah. So. Well, I didn't say uh, Well, not quite. like that. Okay, I, no, not like that. But as memorable as like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, so here's, let, so let me let me clarify and I'll let you continue. There, right. are, there are plenty of memorable themes throughout the entire MCU. They are, mm -hmm. the problem is they are not developed like memorable uh, themes. Okay. 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 So that's the big difference. Um, when they're not developed, when they're not used as primary vehicles to deliver certain ideas, the, 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 the idea of what a theme is and the purpose behind it in film tends to get a little lost. So, okay. so there, there are, yes, yes. there are some memorable themes, but they're just, they're so quick and they're so fleeting and they're so underdeveloped that I'm not even 100% sure why they're there, so to be honest. 
So they're not properly fleshed out. So what about what would you say about like uh, Black Panthers? There's a couple of tracks in there that stuck with me out of the the Black Panther movie. Would you I say like, those were better done or? I like the Black Panther score. I think the Black Panther score is better than most. I think we probably had this conversation chill before Black Panther yes. came out. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Um, in fact, it's interesting since we had this conversation. The the MCU films since then have been better scored. Uh, I, I remember mm -hmm. really loving the Doctor Strange score a whole lot. Okay. Um, that was odd. I wasn't expecting that one. Well, that's that's why I loved it. Again, outside the box, <laughs> it, it was it was odd. It wasn't safe. It took some risk, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it felt like the the mysterious world of Doctor Strange. It was very uh, it was cool in that regard. And of course, um, you know, Infinity War um, that. That that was a fantastically scored, you know, uh, two films there. I like Ant Man a whole lot uh, by Christoph yeah. Beck. So that I mean, get as much attention as that. Like people seem to not really enjoy Ant Man that much. I I really liked it. Personally. Oh, I did too. I did too. Yeah, I, I loved the film. I liked the music a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It's still it's still it's still not a great example of you know film scoring. You know, and I and I hate to use the cliche. As the, as the comparative example, but Star Wars. Now, again, what is, the, what is the benefit of Star Wars? A, you have one composer scoring all nine films. Two, you have not just one composer, but one of the best composers to ever, you know, score a movie in the last hundred years. Yeah. So I, I, it's a little unfair to compare it with that. But but again, let's take another example. It's gold standard. Why not use it? It is. And there's another example, I, Lord, Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord of the Rings. I can hear, I can hear Phantom Menace course in, in, in my head that, like that that is it's the the music is not just memorable but it's it's developed so yeah. much that it's so cohesive it's, it's it becomes a, a it becomes such a fabric part of the fabric of the film itself you can't rip the music away from those movies without yeah. without tearing them yeah whereas the mcu there's there's so many examples of a of more generic scoring in those movies that, if you, that you could take the music out of parts of Captain America and you could put it in any other action film and it would do just the same and I don't know if it would really ring Captain America uh, all the time you know what I mean it's they're they're so interchangeable there's nothing that there's not a lot of material that really marry it to the visual so that they cannot I, separate it I never thought about this but here's a here would be a question is like so so Iron Man Watching an Iron Man movie, which is all technology and yeah. all this stuff, is the is the scoring from that dramatically different from something like Captain America? Because I'm thinking about now, I'm thinking about it, and I'm going, they shouldn't sound the same. Just right. like you were talking about Doctor Strange, like there's a lot of ways you could go with a Doctor Strange, with the mystical side. Like, there's a lot of things you could do, a lot of choices you could make. I don't know. I, I need to go back and rewatch this movie. <laughs> well, you got, there, you got a lot of viewing. <laughs> there are very um, simple devices in those films, which, again, that make Iron Man sound like Iron Man. And that's the electric guitar. You know, there's some Black Sabbath-y kind of references. And that brings out Iron Man. But, but are the, you know, Captain America, there's a there's a, a little again, I was I was a little disappointed in the lack of um, the, the patriotic pastiche in Captain America scores. Mm. I mean, they're they're he's Captain America. I mean he's he's <laughs> totally raw, raw, raw on screen. Why can't the music be there to really, you know, drive those ideas? Home? Like that. Mm. Um, 
so there's 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 there are some elements that separate out the movies but again every not every but I haven't even counted all the composers that have scored an MCU movie, but there are at least a dozen, maybe 15 composers. And so mm. it's hard to also get that Lord of the Rings or Star Wars yeah, level of cohesion when you have 15 different composers. They all want to do their thing. They don't want right. to just hash out what the composer did before. So I get that. I mean, and, and I think having different composers is a good thing. I think um, – I, there's no way one composer could have scored all the MCU movies ever. No way. Right, that, right. that would have not been a good idea either. So I like the different, uh, just like the different directors bring a different vision to the MCU. Right. Composers can bring a different vision, but they have to bring a different vision. When Michael Giacchino scored um, Doctor Strange, I really felt he brought a different vision to the MCU. He did something that nobody really had ever done. Uh, and, and he did that with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. So there, there are some examples where compo- and, 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 and Ludwig Gornson also really did with Black Panther. I mean, that the score for Black Panther can't go on any other, you know, in, MC oh. movie. It's not that generic action oh. that you hear yeah. in a lot of the other scores. I, mean, I hear, when I hear Black Kendrick Panther, the first thing is choo-choo-choo. That's what I hear in my head the mm-hmm. moment someone says Black Panther. Is, mm-hmm. the, is that the casino? Was that the casino? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, that's, we're, that's, yeah. The, you say Black Panther, that was my ringtone for like two months. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's so good. Ugh. I got like hype. Like it would get yes. me ready. I would work out and train to that. That's how much it fit. Yeah. Um, yo, yo, I'll put it this way. It, it affects people of all ages too. Every time, like, I would have a Black Panther on playing whatever. And as soon as Jade... This now she's eleven. We walk by or hear in her, from her bedroom. She goes, "Oh, the general!" And she knows that the, she just whipped off her her wig, threw yeah. it off, and started whooping ass in the friggin' casino. Which is the best part of the movie. I just want to point that yes. out. Yes, yes, the best part of the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and 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 I don't like to criticize film music too much. I don't like to rag on film scores too much because I love film music so much. It pains oh, me. Yeah. Like, but to, to to be a little bit critical, um, I think the best MCU movie ever is Winter Soldier. But but it has what I probably consider to be the worst score. <laughs> you know, and there's an interesting paradox there. There's an interesting like, and I and I've spent a lot of time thinking, why is that? Why is why is Winter Soldier the best MCU movie? But yet it's one of the least effective scores. I mean, you could literally put that that score on any other action you know generic action movie and it would be just the same it would have just the same kind of resonance it, it, it just it lacked there's so much there's so much of a psychological battle in captain and uh, in, in winter soldier that so is there on screen but the music doesn't doesn't take you on that psychological journey and i wish it had there's well, so many you go through the notes go through the notes and, and, and they said it was supposed to be a the french connection yeah just with superheroes but did you didn't sound like it. Didn't give me well, that. exactly. I mean, I had never sound. I've never heard that before, and I never would have guessed that before. Um, it kind of makes some sense now that you mention it a little bit. But I mean, the French Connection has one of the most innovative and experimental and amazing film scores of the seventies. So I would love that level of. I get it. All that money on the line. You know, they're trying to create a, a, a cinematic universe. You can't experiment too much. I get. It. You can't just go in and drop an A-bomb of experimentation. (laughs) 
But well, you can uh, you uh, can step out of the box. There's some room. Door. To, they, they, they got interesting with Thor. They did. And again, Kevin Strange. I thought. I mean, there's there's a there, the, Jacino took some some pretty interesting turns musically in that movie, and it worked. It was it was perfect. Um, I don't know if Winter Soldier demands that type of experimentation because of the subject matter, but there's uh, there's enough there to explore, and it's just there's just it a missed opportunity. It's kind of what I use to describe a lot of these situations. It's just it's not a it's not a bad score. It's not yeah. bad music. It's just missed opportunities where music could have done something and it didn't. Right. So, actually, I had a I was curious about. So, you said Lord of the Rings. So, when you say Lord of the Rings, is there a particular track inside of the Lord of the Rings that comes to mind when you hear uh, that? I mean, yeah, the Fellowship theme that instantly comes into play. I mean, the Hobbit, mm-hmm. all the theme, I mean, the, the Hobbit theme, the Fellowship theme, the Ring theme. I mean, they, they're just instantly ingrained, just like Star Wars. They're instantly ingrained in my sight. Sure. I got emotional when I was it Sheehan, she, Sheeran, Ed Sheeran. That yeah. that uh, the, the mountain. This is to end in fire. We all burn together. Raise a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. That one. When I heard that, like in the theater, I'm sitting there, like I'm sitting in the chair, and it's over. And I'm like, not crying, not like ugly crying, like a manly weep. Yeah. You know what I mean? The center is like. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit, too, I was how I was yeah. at the end of um, Return of the King with Annie Lennox, uh, Into the West, you know, the song at the end of during the credits. I was the same way. I was just mm. delivering this, you know. But, um, that, uh, you that more emotional than I did. Go ahead. Dude, Fast and the Furious. They did that with Wiz Khalifa. What, Fast and the Furious was a seven? I don't even remember which one. When Paul Walker died. And they played that track, and they had the montage. It was bawling in the theaters. Yeah. It was like, oh, you guys, you rat bastards. <laughs> oh, so it was, oh, it got me. It got, yeah, I'm not yeah. an easy crier. I'm not an easy <laughs> crier, but it got me really, really good. Um, I love when the movie does that. Yeah. I'm actually curious, though. When you said if you, you, could, you could tell someone how to make the score for 2020, if you could just briefly give, give us a taste of what, what that means either what what to do or not to do i'm i'm made of questions on that one please i, I just i need you a to mess of confusion into in into into something solid or it's, it has a big begin with mess of confusion <laughs> okay so there's a challenge in explaining it briefly first of all and then there's a challenge in explaining it to somebody that may not know the musical terminology so i'll just say there's there's a lot of uh, dependency on what's called an, uh, an ostinato, which is a basically a repeated figure. And that's fine. Music is full of ostinatos. Uh, John, John Williams relies on them heavily. Um, but again, repetition to me, like as a musician, as a composer, nothing kills me more than repetition. Uh, and I'm just like that in life. If my kids say, you know, dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there? Like, you know, like, I, I, repetition just drives me bonkers, right? The music is the way. So if you have an ostinato, all right, that's a nice little groove. But if it goes on and on and on and on, and it never develops, it never changes, that just starts to grate on you. So there's a heavily, there's a heavy dependence on, I won't just say ostinato, but underdeveloped use of ostinato in music. And then once you establish like this, this ostinato that, that in this passage, you take that and you tra- you copy and you can literally I can literally hear the composer doing it in the computer. You take this section, you copy and paste it, you you uh, 
you transpose it up a minor third and you let it go for eight to 16 bars. And you take that, you, let it, you <laughs> transpose it up a minor third or a major third at that point, and then you get, you know, eight to 16 more bars. I, I can just hear the, the composers literally do, because I mean, you know, I have a computer too, and I, I can hear the, the use of the computer in our score. It doesn't mean the computer is bad. I can just hear how it's being used. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a heavily dependence on just longer sustains. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of just, you know, you hold down the violin and you just this high pitch, you know, violin note. And then that just lasts for like a minute and a half. And that's your cue. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's just safe. You're not going to do anything wrong. You know, it's just, it's way, way, way too safe. It's not creative. You know, there's so many different ways to convey a certain emotion or an idea. Um, so that's, that's an element. Um, I think an overuse on um, heavy, you know, percussion. I think there's even an overuse on, you know, strange and bizarre sounds. I know a lot of people get excited. Oh, there's a weird, somebody used, I don't know, you know, somebody used a toilet seat cover, you know, for the sound. Okay, well, that's that's cool to create a cool sound, but if you're not using it right and it, and it doesn't have a function behind it, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to get all excited because somebody used a toilet seat to make a, make a, a drum out or something like that. It has to <laughs> fit with the score. The score still has to be good. But um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that uh, that go into – a lot of it's just – again, it's just safe. It's just safe. I don't want to use the term generic, but it has that kind of safe, just kind of like – almost like a, a, a fast food equivalency you know mcdonald's okay mcdonald's is 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 designed to taste good no matter where you eat it in the world a big mac is the same whether you get it in new york or whether you get it in florida it's the same it, it appeals to a mass of people billions and billions served right yeah i think a lot of modern film music has that billions and billions served mentality it's got that you know fast food mentality a little bit where um it's not it's not bad i mean again it's designed to taste great i listen to a lot of it so it's pleasant to listen to but is it is it really is it the same as a you know is mcdonald's the same as a as a five-star gourmet chef no it's not we're not going to kid ourselves mm -hmm. so you know that's that's it's a little bit of how i compare modern film music. i don't want to be the i'm down on modern film music guy because i love it there's so many scores in fact i'll i'll say there's never been a period in cinema history where more great film scores are being written you know, okay. on, on an annual basis, on a yearly basis, um, than right now. But you have so to that, find them. You have to find them. They're 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 in all corners of the earth and random places. They're not necessarily in all the you know the big two hundred million dollar blockbuster films. They're but they're right. plenty out there. So that's a good that brings me to my next question. And so give me everybody. Let's go around our top three mm. uh, scores, soundtracks of all time. Yeah, of all music, like right now, <laughs> a couple that come to mind. Uh, I should go last. Man. Yeah, you go last. Chill? No, you go first. One second. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was going to say Matrix, but that got, that got outdone, like Furious Angels. Oh, so good. But um, if I had to pick three, it doesn't change. It's still going to be Cowboy Bebop, uh, Ocean's 12, and then it's going to be uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Those are the three flawless ones I can listen to. I'll buy the album. I had the soundtracks. Like, it was, it was cash money. That's very cool. I mean, I love uh, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a score that I've used many, many times uh, in my lectures, in my UT class. 
specifically on action, like how how music and underscore is action, because it's um, it's got a very uh, it scores it more like a ballet rather than just accenting the punches and the kicks. It's more like the flow and the movement and the dance mm-hmm. of the action on screen, and it's it's a brilliant score. Movies make movies beautiful for every reason that a movie can be beautiful. Yeah, like. The cinematography matches up with the fight choreography, which matches up with the music. It's like, it's perfect. And whenever I would talk to people, we do conversations about fight choreography. Right. I'm like, here's where camera, your camera moves matter. I was getting all these people want to do these good kung fu fights and they wanted these wides. And I was like, well, you don't have the right kind of foot movement. Like your lower body is not active enough for us to be showing the entire body while we're fighting. You need like a medium, medium close-up. There is no reason to have this big, wide, long, one-take thing when when all the action's up here. <laughs> it's like, do, do, do it's, it's, there's nothing happening down here. I don't know what we're doing with this space. We go for energy versus, and then that would lead to, if we're gonna go energetic and the angles are gonna be boom, 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 close-up, 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 well, then the music, would match yeah. the energy of what's going on with that camera and what's going on in the fight. So and so the, the staccato needs to be different. Yeah, like it matters. Like it does. Yeah, I get it. One big dance. And they did it excellently in that particular film. Okay, okay. So if you're going to go last, <laughs> then, I, then I have to can do some con- condensing. X is going to be four. Oh my God. We can't, why uh, can't you follow the rules? We because said because the, you know the rules and you break them. Oh so, yeah, figure out. So, I just just started that, which I am going to kick myself later. Anyway, um, Macross Plus. Uh, it's a anime, of course. You find out it's four pieces. You'll find it. there's even a movie version. Yeah. Up, mm-hmm. Right below that, and it needs to go higher. I understand. Like I put in number three anyway. Akira. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I thought Akira might be coming up pretty soon. Akira, I have that soundtrack. I'm looking at it right there. The bike? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know it well. The bike is right here. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I have a homeboy who's obsessed with both of those movies. Macross <laughs> and Akira. So, yeah. So. His nickname is Kaneda. <laughs> Pretentious. He's a pretentious guy. Oh, get loud. So, knowing that, I go into um, Duel of the Fates. Not not just the entire film, but specifically Duel of the Fates. Okay, so, it, huh? it, it, yeah. The entire film, Phantom uh, Menace, all the way up to it, it was mm-hmm. done, yes, yes, it was done throughout the entire film, but, but like you said, it was leading up to that, yeah. not just I mean, there were, uh, yeah, it, it was a, it's What did you even say? Do you, we sing the song, don't even know what they're saying, but you're in it. You know what I mean? Like, it comes on and people just start harmonizing. You have no idea what you're saying. That's how good it was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you listen to it, it's like, someone's ass is about to get whooped. Yeah. <laughs> I've been looking for an excuse to make anything that would justify having right. Right. that level of epic soundtrack to it. Like, I got swords and stuff. I'm waiting to just, like, to have this thing that's, like, freaking Vikings jumping off of a ship 
going to the beaches, smashing the lizard man. Like I'm waiting to make that thing that will justify having a track that epic. And there's lightsabers back there. I don't know if you can see. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So beyond that, the number one um, bit of music, or actually soundtrack, I would, I would pick is Cowboy Bebop. Um, and I preface, I have to preface, preface that by saying this: I love me some hip hop. Yeah. Period. There is no place where in this place where hip hop is not at. Okay. The only bit of music that goes beyond that that actually rises above that for me mm-hmm. is jazz period it's not get enough shine yo i was born i'm bo- born in detroit right mm-hmm. uh there's a couple times i remember where my mom would say you know shut that damn music off at 2 31 in the morning listen to listening to wjzz it no longer exists in detroit as is but wjzz all that jazz and more oh yes jazz, jazz is this is, i mean i got i got the whole um what's the name uh the dude i got his, got his new york city um jazz society thing i am a jazz fan when i the screenplays right over here i started out with a jazz song yeah dude I mean, I had, that, so much, had so much of that music in Cowboy B Black, Piano Black specifically. I can remember that I had all of the tracks because they were mm-hmm. amazing. Like, I had never heard anything sound like that. Jazz, like, I'm into, like, because I'm in the, uh, like, down tempo Parisian, like, house, right. like, Cafe Del Mar and all that kind of stuff. But jazz, uh, bossa nova which people you don't even hear bossa nova samba like that i'm like where nicola conti like where, why does no one know that this stuff is dope like it never it never gets it's overlooked yeah. i mean i mean for me it's like miles davis miles yeah. davis musically is responsible for one half of my first screenplay the name of the film high speed chase that's a Miles Davis song. <laughs> I am a jazz fan. So I, jazz I, is I a big jazz is a big part of my childhood. When I was, I mean, I was a my introduction into music was through the saxophone. I played tenor sax. That's how I learned, you know, getting bands and all the way through college. I was the tenor sax player. So uh, there was a period of my life from like sixth grade to about tenth grade where all I mean, I was as I was as modern pop music illiterate as you can imagine like all i listened to was jazz in that period so be to, to be a middle school kid and only listen to jazz like i got a lot of heads turned and eyes raised yeah i was kind of a weird kid <laughs> but um so i'm right up there but um but my three you know i have i have about 170 films in my top three so let me start naming them all no, i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I do i do have a, i do have like two, i do have like 200 films in my or film scores in my top three but let me let me just try to name it down to three. Um, I consider what I consider to be the greatest achievement in film music history is Lord of the Rings. And I call it the greatest achievement because I don't think a composer had as big a challenge as scoring essentially this 12 hour epic, <laughs> epic movie where all these themes, where he had like dozens and dozens of representative themes, had to develop yeah. them, lead them all together 
Um, he had this huge mountain, this challenge, and then to have that composer like eclipse that challenge and just absolutely deliver, um, I, I, I consider it to be the greatest achievement in, in film music history. Um, There's no hate in that. Yeah. Um, my favorite film score of all time, the, the one that's been the most uh, influential on me personally, and I've, and I've spent my entire life studying it from a you know academic level, is uh, Vertigo from 1958, the Alfred Hitchcock film, Jimmy Stewart, okay. music composed by Bernard Herrmann. Uh, and then a third one, that's the, you know, I'm sitting here thinking that's that's where the other 170 come into play for this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it really is hard for me to say, and it's hard for me to not leave out something by John Williams. I mean, I'd have to probably put Star Wars just because I wouldn't be here mm. without that score. I remember clear as day, I still have the, the my, my parents, LP, you know, in my studio where like I would sit on the, I would lay on my stomach on the living room floor, put the album on and just open up the gatefold and stare at the pictures in the, in the Star Wars album and just listen to the score like over and over again. And, uh, and that, you know, back then there was no, you didn't have VHS, you didn't have cable. So if you wanted to connect with Star Wars, you had the soundtrack, you had the toys yep. and that's how, that's how you connected. And I did, I had both. And um, there's no doubt that that put me on a path to where I am. So I'd have, I'd have to put the, uh, the original, you know, as, as much as I put the original Star Wars film, I think Empire Strikes Back, the score is, is even better. I mean, that's where John Williams like took all these ideas and really like. We got to back. take off with it. You I did. mean, the, the, but you got you said that, but you for me thematically. In that, in episodes four, five, and six, as far as that goes, other than Duel of Fates, I, I, I forget. I forgot the name of the battle, uh, or the part of the the, the movie. But when they're chasing the Falcon in the, the, it, it, in, in the, uh, the asteroid field, asteroid field, yeah. yes. I was just about to say that's probably my all-time favorite um, John Williams piece of all time. The asteroid field, it's it's so good. Yeah, typically people, it's either whenever they talk about their inspiration, it's normally Star that Wars is there, and Indiana Jones comes up. Like yeah. that's where, and that's great. Not, and they're fun. They're fun. I came to Star Wars much, much later in life because uh, just how things worked out. Ray Park is the reason why I paid any attention to Star Wars. Because yes. as a kid, I was watching Kung Fu movies already. So everything that happened like in the 90s, like Renegade and Walker, Texas Ranger and all that stuff, I'm like, that's not... I was already I was already watching like Donnie Yen and Michelle mm. Yeoh by that point in time. So all the action stuff and America just really wasn't that much of an impact for me. Actually, the Tekken video game is probably one of the main reasons I wanted to do for choreography. Tekken 4. Tekken 4 and Tekken Tag. Because the playbacks on Tekken 4 was like slow motion. And it was so good, it looked like a movie. Like the way he just barely died something and hit a guy. And so that's what actually made me get into film and, and doing what I do was that. And then Tekken Tag the music was so obscene, like it's what I work out to now. It was so <laughs> epic. It was, it, Cause I'm also a big fan of violin. So I, I played the violin as a kid. And so uh, violins to me, they're epic. Yep. So, and it had all these things like staff role. If you have nothing else to do with your time viewing audience, go look up Tekken Tag, staff role, or Final Fantasy X Mount Gagazette violence all day long and they'll just get you emotional and ready to destroy armies 
So that's the stuff that got me actually making these movies, wanting to do fight choreography. I've had the experience once of uh, conducting a live orchestra, the, the John Williams Asteroid Field, and I can tell you, if, if I could gift, Ooh. if I could gift that sensation to you, I would. It, it, is, <laughs> it is one of the most just amazing sensations you you'll ever experience. To conduct that piece in a live uh, with a live orchestra is, is is amazing. Right, I didn't know you were the brother of another mother. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's 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 way up there. So. So, but yeah, you already answered the. You already what I was talking about when I talked about the asteroid field. So obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah as soon as, as soon as you started trying to figure, out, I was like, I bet you he's gonna say asteroid field. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you did it right. Well, yeah. you're you're not the only Star Wars fan to, to oh, say that. It, it is. It is a. It is. You listen to it, and you listen to you know, if for for somebody like me with a score reader, when you open up the score and you you're just like, like John Williams is just mind-blowingly amazing to be able to come up with this so yeah it, it'll never get to i only seen the man once mm. and yeah once i uh it was when i was living in massachusetts uh my mom tried to get, get me and my brother's uncultured butts to the boston pops i had no idea how important the boston pops actually was what year would it have been 1980 that's before my time. I was I was an usher with the with the Boston uh, Symphony, Boston Pops for two years when I was at Berkeley. So yeah, I saw John Williams come in a couple times. I think you suck. Anyway, um, <laughs> great so, great college job being the usher for the BSO. Yeah. yeah, well, you saw him, but I mean, I was this little kid. He looked, of course, he looked far off. But my memory says to me that it was a Nutcracker. There we go, Nutcracker. I know that I could actually hum the entire thing by heart instantly right now. That's some things I've heard it. Ugh. But I watch, we're watching it, and I'm falling asleep mm. over and over. My brother's worse than me on it, but that nudge I got from my ribs in my ribs still hurts. But yes, uh, I saw the man. You know the thing did did this thing. Uh, my mom said that she would never take me to another um, performance. Of uh, Broadway or anything else after that, and now I think back on it now. I'm my eight-year-old self now. Get your ass up! I have to pay good money for this ticket. Get it? Get, get, that's John Williams, fool! Ah. And now you're now, and now you're nudging your own self in the ribs for like missing. That. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ah. All right. Well, we got to get. But uh, Brian, it, it's been wonderful to uh to interview you thank you um it is a pure pleasure uh ben anything i got nothing man i, I got a lot of questions and i learned a lot today mm -hmm. learned a lot about what to think about when we're doing these movies and thinking about the sound and the design right. uh in a way that i wouldn't have i wouldn't have before today so thank you so much brian it was it was excellent uh looking forward to that book yeah getting getting do to you have a name for that book yet it's just right now. It's just the music of Friday the Thirteenth. So I think that's probably what it'll end up being. It might, yeah. So unless I get another idea, that's okay. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll look out there. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll hype it up. It's all good. Yeah, Thanks, man. Yeah, Always good talking to you. If you ever need me back again for any, you know, part two, let me know. Like I said, I can talk about this stuff for hours. I mean, in hours. We should do that. We should do that series. You know, it's like when they watch a movie, when they go like an expert right there. Uh -huh. 
and he was showing like different clips and different things. Yeah. You can do that with Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, have some fun with it. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, thank you for uh, for coming. Thank you for having the patience to to watch all of our old asses. But uh, <laughs> Austin Action Fest, Benjamin Red the second, Chilimboy Washington, Brian Satterwhite. We thank you all. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast.